Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Those of you who are joining us online, we're glad you're with us, and uh, we hope to hear from you if we can minister to you in any way. And any decision that you make, we'd love to be able to uh, help you with that. So we're glad you're here today as we continue this series in talking about uh, marriage and whether it's going to survive or thrive. And, and even if you're not married, <clears throat> what we're going to talk about today, uh, you need to hear. If You need to hear some things that will help you in preparing for that marriage. And, and I'm going to tackle a thing today. I, I'm going to tackle the idea of what happens when you think you have married the wrong person. So if you think, go ahead and, no, then we're not going to raise your hand on that one. I don't, I don't, I don't want to fill my calendar with a bunch of marriage counseling this week. <laughs> but when we think about marriage, um, sometimes we, we live with this myth that God has only one person for you. Um, the only person, and that's, and that's not in scripture. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, does it say that God has only one person for you. Now he has, um, a guideline in scripture about the type of person you're to marry and the type of person you're to be the type of person you want to stay away from, but nowhere does the scripture says God's got one person for you and that's it. Uh, the, the only person that that was actually true for was Adam. I mean, that's the only example in scripture where he only had one choice and, uh, he didn't have any more ribs to give up, you know, so he, he had that one choice. Um, but it's, um, here's the, it's not even logical to think that way because there's a dominoes effect there. So say God only has one person for you and that's it. But the person that you were supposed to marry, say at a moment when they were not walking with the Lord, married the wrong person, then that means you have to marry somebody else and then they're not marrying the person they were designed for. So it, you see how it just cascades from there that it only takes one person not marrying the right person that it affects all the other marriages eventually. So that you see, that's just not even logical. So that's not biblical. So don't even think that, but rather... Focus on the fact of what the Bible says about the type of person you're to be, the, the type of person you should look for in a marriage. And, uh, and, and so individuals, though, you get to a place in your marriage and you begin to wonder, let's face it, you begin to wonder, have I married the wrong person? I mean, my knight in shining armor sits around in a t-shirt in his underwear and all the, I see all the kinks in the armor now. And, uh, that white horse, he's starting to smell like that white horse. <laughs> and you just begin to wonder, have I, should I have done something different? Well, if you think that the Bible does not say, well, you should just get a divorce and go find that right person. The Bible does not say that. God does not say that. He said, no, nope. the person, when you married them, they became the right person. And you are to honor that vow that you've made and you're to work on it. Now, 
I, I appreciate the fact that God's will, God's plan, God's purpose for your life is dynamic, not static. In other words, it's not cast in concrete. If it were, then you'd only have to make one mistake and then you could never live God's will for your life. So God takes into account that you're a sinful person. I mean, that's why he sent Jesus. He takes into account that you're going to make some dumb decisions. He takes into account that you're, you're going to mess things up royally from time to time. And yet, he still will use you and still has a plan for you and a purpose for you. And it is a dynamic plan. So I'm, I'm so glad personally that one mistake doesn't mean that I've missed God's plan for the rest of my life. It does not work that way. And God knows that you're going to make dumb decisions. He understands that because he created you. But God can take and bring good out of any bad decision that you make. Now, I did not say, and the Bible does not say, that God will make good your bad decisions, but rather he can take your bad decisions and bring good out of it when you give it to him. Now, before we go any further, because <clears throat> I'm going to talk about some of the reasons what, of why things go wrong in the marriage, but then we're going to see what Scripture says about how to deal with that. But before I go any further... Let me say to those of you who have been divorced that this message, it is in no way intended to heap guilt upon you. Its purpose is not to make you feel like you didn't try hard enough. Don't even go there. So that's not the purpose of this message. What we're talking about is where you are today and where you're heading tomorrow. So don't think about the mistakes from the past that you should have done differently to save your That's not the purpose of this. So don't walk out of here feeling beat up, feeling like you've already messed up. There's nothing. Listen, God is in the business of restoring people. And I'm so thankful for that. So let's talk about what goes wrong in a marriage. And, and from my observations from years of ministry, I think it comes down to four basic things. Uh, marriages go sour. <clears throat> they fall apart because of one of these four reasons. And, um, and then we're going to see from God's word what he says and how to deal with this. So if you're not married but would like to be married one day, you need to listen to these things because these are things that you can actually start working on right now. Number one unresolved issues. You bring them into your marriage. You bring them into relationships. These are things that cause doubt and second guessing and feeling like you married the wrong person. You, you bring unresolved issues into the marriage and what was caused by something else or someone else, you now focusing you focus that on your spouse and they're not the source of it. They just become the target of it. 
And, and so these are things that you brought into your marriage from a previous relationship, especially from the family you grew up with. I mean, when you got married, you brought a lot of baggage into your marriage. So did your partner. You brought in good things, but you also brought in some tough things and some bad things. Uh, you, you didn't come into the marriage with a blank slate, with no background, with no history. You, you brought hang-ups, you brought hurts, you brought habits, you brought ways of reacting to people and to things. You brought up the way you were raised and good and bad. You brought the good things that you learned from your family. You brought the bad things you learned from your family. It's, it's kind of like your family set you up. Your family may have set you up for, for great success, but some of you, your family that you were raised in actually set you up for failure. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. So you bring all that with you, the good and the bad. And, and, and the more pain that you grew up with, the more baggage you bring into your marriage. And that's why you've got to deal with it. Um, maybe you brought more weaknesses and faults and failings in your marriage than you realize. A lot of people get into marriage and they think that marriage is creating all these problems. That's not true at all. Marriages usually don't create the problems. Marriage simply reveals the problems. You hear the difference? But because you chose to marry, and once you get close and personal and intimate with someone, and, and they see all the things in your life, and you see all the quirks in their life, it begins to work on you. I'm amazed at some of the stuff people they, they let really bother them. <laughs> I actually had somebody in counseling one, son, you know, one time. They said, hey, I, you know, he, it's just a little thing, but it just bothers me. And I said, all right, let me hear it. Well, he squeezes the toothpaste, and I like to roll it. And every morning I have to unsqueeze it and start rolling it, and that just really bothers me. I said, oh, I I've got this. Buy two tubes of toothpaste. <laughs> you needed a counselor to tell you that one? <laughs> Marriages usually don't create the problems, as I said, but they do reveal them. You see, a lot of you went into your marriage thinking you were going to work on them. And that's called conflict. A lot of you went into the marriage knowing that there were some shortcomings and you said to yourself, I'll fix that later. How's that working for you? The best way to prepare for marriage if you're unmarried and you want to get married is to deal with your past. Get some closure. Make peace with your parents. Bring some closure to the good and the bad. Take the good with you but bring closure to the bad. Have an honest look at your family background. Deal with it. Deal with as much as your past and those relationships as, as you can before you get into the marriage. And all that anger that you've never dealt with and you just refocus it on your mate, that's not fair. It really isn't. For you to bring unresolved anger into your marriage and then focus that anger on your mate? How, how fair is that? 
Well, unresolved issues. I, I think this is one of the single greatest reasons marriages go south is because they don't deal with their past. Number two, unmet expectations. I don't know of any area of life where we set ourselves up for higher expectations than we do for, for marriage. I, I mean, we, Hollywood has helped us with this, right? We, we uh, see the movies with the knight in shining armor, Prince Charming, and he comes and sets free the fair maiden, and they ride off into the sunset as the credits are rolling, and, and there's mist coming up. And then when you're the one on the horse and you're riding off and you find out the mist is really smog and it's not done end happily, happily ever after, uh, that doesn't happen in real life. It, even the way you set up the process we do in our culture uh, of dating and courtship we, and, mar- and, the, and the wedding, I, I mean, we really set ourselves up for this. People come to me and they want to talk about the wedding. I said, no, no, we're going to talk about the marriage. The wedding, we'll, we'll, we'll plan that in 10 minutes. It, it really is. I mean, that's the shortest part of this whole thing. We're going to focus on the lifelong thing, the marriage. And the ones who get so focused on the wedding and do not deal with the junk are the ones that by the time they get back from their honeymoon realize I may have made a big mistake. They just aren't dealing with stuff. They have unmet expectations. And uh, I, I'm telling you, you know, you, we get these ideas, the, the, these brides magazines and everybody looks perfect in there and that's because they've airbrushed out all the blemishes. And so uh, for the wedding day, the, the bride spends three days getting dressed and getting everything perfect. The guy spends 10, 15 minutes maybe getting dressed and getting ready. And, and, uh, but after a couple of months of being together, you start seeing this other stuff. And you start seeing the unairbrushed complexion. You start seeing your knight in shining armor without his armor. And all of a sudden, what you thought was going to be nothing but bliss is causing nothing but blisters. The reality is this. Marriage is composed of two very flawed, very imperfect individuals. It's foolish to think that two flawed individuals can form a flawless relationship. It's unrealistic to think that. And uh, it's not going to happen. And unmet expectations in your marriage, that can make a marriage go south real quick. Number three, underestimated differences. That can cause your marriage to go wrong as well. You know, we've all heard the cliche, opposites attract. Um, We haven't heard the rest of the story, opposites attack as well. And and we used to be fascinated with this, and now it does nothing but cause frustration with this. 
God wired you in such a way that there's an inborn instinct in you that you're naturally, you gravitate towards people that compliment you. I, and I, I don't mean with words, but I'm talking about how they are. So if you're the shy person, you tend to be drawn to the outgoing person. Uh, if you're the person that um, uh, is, is more quiet and uh, you're drawn to that person who's the opposite of that. And, and so there, there, are three things, there are these things that fascinate us and we're drawn to that. And, and we tend in the early days, and we, always do, we all do this, we underestimate the differences and we overestimate what we have in common. I heard it one time, we're so alike, and I want to go, no, you're not. For one thing, you're a guy and she's a girl. That's a pretty big difference. You both have two different histories. That's very different. You have different personalities. Well, we think alike. Probably not. Maybe one has quit sharing how they think and you think they're in agreement with you because they don't tell you. Maybe it's because you belittle that and berate that. Some of you, you like to um, stay up late because you don't think God gets up before 10 o'clock in the morning anyway. Others, you go to bed early and you're up early. And after a while, that can get on your nerves. Some of you are a spender and some of you are a saver. Some of you like to cuddle and you married somebody who's like a porcupine. They just don't like it. Things are just not always the same. One is neat and the other one's not. Unexpected expectation. The, the guy will say, I, I knew I was marrying Mrs. Wright. I just didn't realize her first name was always. <laughs> or maybe that's what you ladies say. Because we have such high expectations and feel like nothing can disappoint us and let us down in the marriage, we set ourselves up. So we have these, we underestimate our differences and then when the differences show up, they overwhelm us. Number four, unforgiven mistakes. That makes the marriage go south. You cannot have a marriage unless you learn the word forgiveness because we hold on to hurts from our spouse if we don't use that word forgiveness. And, and guess what? You're going to hurt your spouse, either intentionally or unintentionally. You're going to hurt them. And you've got to learn what to do when that happens. And if you hold on to that hurt, that, that festers, and, uh, and it gets worse, and later on it actually becomes bitterness, and then that is when it really destroys things. It poisons re a relationship, and it slowly kills the marriage. When you hold on to your grudges, you're killing the marriage. So you know, you know why you hold on to your grudges? You know why you hold on to your hurts? Let me tell you why. You need it for ammunition. That's what you think. You think that the next time they attack, you got to shoot back with past hurts and pains. Oh, yeah, well, you remember, you know, four years ago you did this, and then two years ago you did that. 
and, and you see, you, you hold on to hurts and pains because you think you're going to need it to fight back when it happens again. And you're setting yourself up. You're, you're, you're almost itching to fire those bullets. You, you see, you, you realize the scripture says, if I forgive, that means I have to set it aside. I'm, I'm not supposed to bring it up again. Aren't you glad God's that way, though? That when you ask for forgiveness, he doesn't bring it up anymore? He forgives. In fact, the Bible says he separates it. He forgets it. He puts it out. He takes it to the cross, and, and then it becomes as if it never happened. And, and so God will never throw it back up into your face again. So, let's deal with this. These four things. Here's, here's some steps that I want to encourage you to take based on Scripture. Let's, let's do these in letters. Let's start with A. Accept responsibility for my actions. That's the first step. Here, here's what the Bible says. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. You see, you're not, you're not responsible for what somebody does to you, but you are responsible in how you respond. You're responsible for what you do with it. So accept responsibility when you mess up, especially. <clears throat> it means you stop having a pity party. You stop comparing your spouse to someone else. You stop complaining. You stop resenting. You stop blaming. You know, you, you cannot fix your marriage if you're always fixing the blame. If you're always trying to place the blame. So you have to learn to re begin with yourself. Accept your responsibilities for your action. You, you know why the grass is greener on the other side? Because they water it. They nourish it. They pull the weeds. You know, when Mary and I lived in our other house, uh, you know, we downsized recently. And one of the reasons we did was to get rid of the big yard because it was a constant work. And uh, I got tired of watching her work. And, um, and so one of the things that we did at the beginning of every season, now I did do this. This was my job was to put out whatever fertilizer would go out. But we would put out pre-emergent. And it would get rid of the weeds before they became weeds. So it would take care of a problem before it became a problem. Now, that's just being smart, right? I mean, save yourself some headache. And, and it helps the grass to be healthier and greener. Some of you, you need to start putting some pre-emergent out about things that are going to be weeds in a relationship. And one of them is accept responsibility for your actions. Be quick to deal with it. And, you know, I'll tell you, a lot of times when couples come to see me, I'll, I'll get basket loads of issues. And, and one of the things that I'll say is that, look, you know, we're, we're going to tackle one problem at a time. So I want to encourage you, if you have been avoiding dealing with your marriage and your yard is completely full of weeds, just start with one weed at a time. 
Start dealing with one issue at a time. Otherwise, you will get overwhelmed and you will give up. B, believe my marriage can change. You got to believe that. Here's what Jesus said. Humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Now, either Jesus is telling the truth or he's telling a big fat lie. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you go about this with God, it's possible. Everything's possible with him. A marriage can be saved. A marriage can be, go from surviving to thriving. So how are you looking at your marriage? If you're looking at it through your, a human standpoint, I can understand why you want to give up so quickly. But you've got to start looking at it from God's standpoint. If you're looking at it from a human standpoint, you may already have your marriage in a coffin and you're sitting there driving the nails in to keep the lid on. But you've got to start looking at it from God's per- perspective. And from God's viewpoint, nothing is impossible. And if you say to me, but, but pastor, you don't know my spouse, then I'm going to say to you, okay, so call Jesus a liar. Oh, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's exactly what you're doing. You're saying that Jesus didn't know what he was talking about from your perspective. Yes, it's impossible, but from God's it's not. See, Commit to doing whatever it takes. Listen to Galatians. This this is really good. I like this. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. Now, I know for some of you, you get really tired of being the only one that seems to be doing good in the marriage, right? Maybe you're really tired of that. You think you're the only one that's actually doing anything and you're just exhausted from it. I get that. But he's encouraging us. Now, just keep doing it. And and here's what he says. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. You might be ready to quit the marriage because a lot of times at the moment that things are about to shift, that's when you're ready to quit. And you don't realize you're just really a step away from a victory. Might not be a big victory, but maybe you're just a step away, but you quit, you give up. If we keep doing what is right, according to the scripture, at just the right time, God keeps working on the other person. God keeps working on you. And he says, you will reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. But if you do give up, then you don't reap that harvest. You miss out. So it takes honesty. It takes humility. It takes the willingness to say, I was wrong. Please forgive me. It takes the willingness to be frank and honest and look at your background and see how that has been a positive or a negative thing. Uh, Nothing was ever perfect there. Uh, and, and if you insist on always defending yourself, that's not going to work, but it takes persistence. It takes flexibility, but it does take honesty. 
And sometimes you have to say the tough stuff. But commit to doing whatever it takes. D, deal with the unresolved hurts. You got to deal with it. And there are two ways that you do that. One is you do it by asking for forgiveness if you've done something wrong. James 5.16, it says, confess your sins to each other. Now, obviously, this is different from confessing your sins to God, which you do to have forgiveness through Christ. That's not, this is different. He's saying, confess your sins to each other. So I, I need to go and I need to confess, I did you wrong. I had a bad attitude. I snapped. I shouldn't have snapped. I said something hurtful. I shouldn't have done that. It means take ownership. Confess your sins to each other and then pray for each other. Wow. Now, I want to tell you, when, when my wife and I, we pray together, there's, there's no pretense. It's hard to be full of arrogance and pride when you're praying before holy God. There's something that happens when you pray together. Now, maybe your spouse, you're saying, my spouse would never do that. You know what? That's okay. Here's what you do. You just say, hey, I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but do you mind sitting here with me while I pray for us? Do you mind just being here and supporting me while I pray for our kids? I mean, try that. Ask them to just be there with you while you'll pray. Don't pressure them to pray if they're just, they can't do that. But he says, pray for each other so that you may be healed. As I confess and as I pray with each other, Healing takes place in me and with the other person. And then it says the earnest prayer, sincere prayer, honest prayer, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. Now, you may be sitting there going, Pastor, I'm not a righteous person. Oh, yeah? You know what? The Bible declares that you are. If you're a follower of Christ, God has declared you righteous. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. So you've already been declared righteous. So when I read this, it says the earnest prayer of a follower of Jesus, a righteous person, has great power and produces wonderful results. There's your motivation. Power and results. Why aren't you doing it? This is a promise from Scripture. When you pray as a righteous person, which that's who you are in Christ, your identity in Christ, then you've got power and you've got wonderful results. The second thing you have to do to deal with unresolved hurts is to offer forgiveness. Colossians 3 puts it this way. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you, period. There's not a footnote, there's not a comma that says only if they ask. No, it says forgive 
period. So you forgive even if your spouse does not even acknowledge that they've done something wrong. You forgive. That heals your heart. That changes how you respond to them. You, you give forgiveness regardless of how they react. Make an allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, if you need some motivation, here it is. The Lord forgave you. He, he did. So you must forgive others. Be like the Lord. Let me give you one last one. Enlist support from others. Sometimes things are so tough, you really, you really just cannot do it on your own. You, you need help from others. Proverbs 19 puts it this way. Get all the advice and instruction you can, but make sure you get it from the right people. So you will be wise the rest of your life. And then in Proverbs 24, a house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. A marriage is built by wisdom and becomes strong through, through good sense. Good sense means wisdom applied. And, and so you're applying that wisdom through just good sense that God has given you that's based on scripture, that's based on the Holy Spirit directing you in your life. Then I like what Philippians says. For God is working in you, in you, he's working, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Oh, wait a minute. So my marriage is really all about God. It's about pleasing him. Exactly. My relationships are all about pleasing God. Who I am is all about pleasing God. So God's working, and he's given me the desire to do the right thing, and he's given me the power to do the right thing for the purpose of pleasing him. Man, that, that really puts it in perspective. This, this is all about God. Uh, my marriage thriving instead of just surviving is about pleasing God. It pleases him when my marriage thrives. It pleases him when I confess when I've done something wrong. It pleases him when, when I make it all about him and not me. It pleases him when I serve my wife instead of waiting to be served. It pleases him when I'm who I'm supposed to be, a righteous person. And if you're ready to give up and say, I just cannot do it, there's one last verse for you. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That, that's some real good news here. I don't have to come up with the strength myself. God's already given me that strength through Jesus. And, and because of the strength that Jesus has given me, I can do everything. 
And that means I can forgive. I can, I can give forgiveness. I can ask for forgiveness. I, I can humble myself. I can live to serve some other people. I, I, can, I can deal with my past. My past hurts. I can, I can deal with my unmet expectations and make my expectations correctly. I can do those things through Christ. Now, I've got to put this side note here. In everything I'm saying, I need to say something to maybe somebody who's listening or somebody that's here. If you're in a physically abusive relationship or a really emotional abusive relationship, I am not suggesting you got to stay there and take it. I think you need intervention. And sometimes separation is exactly what's needed. But in no way does God say to you, yeah, no, you got to stay in it and, and be continually to be abused. No, he, he's not saying that. He's not saying to get a divorce, but he is saying that, you know, maybe you take a separation and, and get these things confronted and deal with it in the way that it has to be dealt with. Uh, so you don't sit there and have to continue to be abused in order to be obedient to God. That's not what this scripture is saying at all. So I just needed to put that side note out there. But for the rest of you, take these biblical principles, put them to practice, and then just see what God does. He will give you power so that you can do what pleases him. And it'll be amazing. Let me pray. I, I want to pray for your marriage. And I want to pray for those of you who are not married yet. So let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much that you gave us this thing called marriage. It's, it's so unique. It's so special. And because we're flawed and we mess up and we make a lot of mistakes. Some of our marriages are really hurting. And so I pray over this group of people that your Holy Spirit will be unleashed on the marriages that are struggling. That your power will come into that marriage and you will help them to be honest about the stuff that's causing all the conflict and that they'll look to the things that I discussed today from your word and, and that they will choose to believe what your scripture teaches. So I pray for victory. I pray for victory. And Lord, those who have already gone through some challenging times and those who have, have already been through the battle, let them be willing to be encouragers for those around them who are in the midst of that battle. Let them choose to be that wise person that someone else can come to. Lord, I, I pray that the husband and wife teams that are here today, they will, they will do they'll do something like pray together. That, that's really unnerving for some people. It makes them very nervous. It makes them, uh, they feel 
inadequate to do that. But I pray that they will just risk that and then watch you show up. Lord, I pray for those who are single, but hopefully one day will be married and that they'll begin to look to your word to see the kind of person that you would have them to marry, the kind of person they need to be looking for, the the kind of people they need to avoid. And I, I pray that they will especially start becoming the kind of person that you would have them to be so that they will be acceptable to the one that's looking for them. Let them work on themselves. Let them deal with those past issues. Let them go ahead and start working on those things so that they don't bring all that baggage with them. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.